1: That sound. This is a good one. Welcome everybody to the Full Scale Outdoors Podcast. I am Dale Lucabill. Thank you very much for joining me. Welcome to this week's weekend recap and rant. I have stuff there. To- To uh, recap, yay, super fun times. (laughs) I know it's been kind of quiet here as of late, but uh, we're going to get back on track. Uh, Yeah, so let's do it. So this weekend we had um, club events, tournament events for uh, Loon State Bassmasters, and this would be technically events three and four of six. I missed the first two as I was uh, in Florida taking my captain's course. So I'm kind of starting in a deficit here points-wise. So just as a background, the way our club works is we have six events a season, and five of those are recorded. So you always have one, like what we call throwaway. So either you can't make one, doesn't go against you, or the other way it can be used is that if you fish all six, but one of those is like super shitty – or your, whatever your worst one is, obviously you're going to toss that one out, and then you're going to record your best five. Well, I miss two, so no matter what, I'm taking a zero on one of my five recorded tournaments this year, which is going to be a hole to climb out of for sure as it pertains to the Angler of the Year for the season. So with that said, we are... This weekend, we headed down to Wabasha to fish Pool 4 of the Mississippi River here in Minnesota. I have never fished this stretch before, uh, so I didn't know what to expect. I wasn't going to have any time to pre fish or just scout, even just go boating to see what was out there or how it laid out. No idea. I have no idea what I'm getting into. There are lots of hazards on the river. I mean, you know, floating trees, depending, you know, if there's storms or wing dams. And, I mean, just there, there's a there's a lot when it comes to... There's back channels you can get lost in. Like, there's just... There's a lot going on at this stretch of river. And I had zero zero previous knowledge of it. So, it's like, well not going to have time to physically go there but i'll do my best in scouring the internet and going over google maps and just trying to get at least an overview visual of how the lake sets up and then i cross reference that with my navionics app so at least on there it shows the wing dams it took me a while to figure that out like they're just thin lines that kind of jut off from shore. And I was like, oh, those must be the wing dams. But then every now and again, I'd see one that would like went all the way through an island or onto land. I was like, maybe that's a navigational thing. Maybe it's not wing dams. So I wasn't sure. Well, when I finally got on the water, I did indeed confirm that that is what those lines on your Navionics app mean are the wing dams. Well, it's, it's important for a couple of reasons. It's important because uh, you want to stay in the channel. do not if you leave the main channel you're not going to want to run full clip because some of those wing dams extend almost all the way out to the channel and those things can come up to uh, just depending on water level just under the surface so uh yeah that's gonna ruin your day if you hit one of those at a full clip um lower unit skeg prop and or all Toast, <laughs> maybe a hole, a hole, a hole in the hole. Who knows? Anyways, not good. Just don't do it. Stay in the channel if you're running full clip, and even if you're running slow, be careful. Cause uh, as as I have some experience in reading water, I haven't spent a lot of time on the Mississippi River. I spent like on smaller bodies of water, but I understand what water does as far as shallow water. And something you can and you can see. As long as it's not too windy, you can visually see where these wing dams are by the current because you'll see it riffle as it goes over it. Now, the thing to keep in mind if you've never been on the river and you're going to the river or you're going where there's wing dams and stuff like that, the action is upstream of where you see the action on the water. And depending on the current and the depth, it can be quite a bit upstream. So... If you see that nervous water, if you will, that the the ripples, you know, just like this is going over rapids or anything like that, that's what you're going to kind of see. You're going to see a change in the current, change in the surface, and just give that stuff a wide berth. And even with that, I still managed to hit, thankfully at very low speeds, <laughs> some of these wing dams, uh, even with my trolley motor, because, you know, the, the water clarity of the Mississippi isn't all that great. So, uh, they sneak up on you, and uh, yeah, and even a couple times idling around scanning, you're like, oh, it's coming up fast, and you kill the motor and you try to trim up, but you still like a like, couple fresh dings in the old uh, skeg there, yikes. Um, but I managed to not wreck anything day one. So, going into this weekend, I didn't have very high hopes of never fishing it before, never being on it before, and I was like, well just going to go fishing i know what i know about river fishing on a smaller scale and from what i understand it's basically the same rules apply it's just on a bigger scale so like how rivers are typically set up um pool riffle run kind of in that order so you got a deep pool it comes out of the pool you get a riffle and that which is shallow water fast flowing water and then a run, which is like moderate depth, usually in more of like a straight line, and then it dumps back into a pool, and then that repeats itself. I doesn't. I mean, it it does follow those lines on the on the Mississippi there, but not. It, it's it's just super exaggerated. Like that that pool riffle run will take place over miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. And with the with the construction of wing dams. And dams and and dredging and you know keeping channels open and stuff like that. It doesn't necessarily play by nature's rules as pool riffle run are and do into, into play. Anyways, I'm getting sidetracked. So, anyways, I, I had enough understanding. I grew up fishing smaller rivers. I was just going to kind of apply that. And uh, I'd gotten some tips, you know, I was pointing in the direction of concentrate on wing dams. And that made sense to me. It's like, yeah, it's, it's a natural structure. Well, not natural, but it's natural for uh, smallmouth bass to want to use that. Now, there are both smallmouth and largemouth in this body of water. And you kind of like got to pick your poison on which one you want to, to pursue. So I was going to go after brown bass, smallmouth bass. So uh, Saturday morning, get there, got there just in time. We I mean, had left, we had, we were starting at six on Saturday and I'm two hours away from the river. So uh, alarm was set at three. I got on the road at 3.30, but had to stop for gas and this, that, and the other thing. And I mean, I got to the landing at exactly the right time. Enough time to drop the boat in, park the park the vehicle back in the boat. And that was like, all right, let's idle out and take off, which is what we did. I drew first boat, which is great. You know, you always want that pole position, but it didn't really matter because I didn't know where I was going. Uh, that would come into play, like if I had a spot I knew I was going to have to race other people to get to. That was not going to be the case, so it didn't really matter that I was first place, but still kind of nice. So I I was going over Navionics, I was going over Google Maps. And I had picked a couple spots that I thought looked good, um, at least potentially, and I was gonna go try it out. So I race over to that my first spot to try. Um, ease up in there with the trolling motor, and I can see the I can see the the wing dam as it, it's spilling over, and it's kind of crazy. This this particular spot, it's like it it it's shallow gets really shallow at that wing dam and then drops I mean almost instantly in like 25 feet of water it was crazy um so I just start whipping baits out there and working it up and over the wing dam parallel to the wing dam in the eddy current downstream of the wind dam just kind of all over well it didn't take me long well I started with a I started with a top water bait a spook and I had a little one chase me but he didn't hit it. And threw that for a little bit more. Nothing was gone, so I decided to ditch that and then uh, picked up a swim jig and and was throwing that out there. And like I said, I was going you know upstream bringing it over the the edge. I was cross curring it and I was you know casting it all over. But it didn't take long, about mm, 15 minutes I'd say, and I hooked up and it was nice fish. Over through. I didn't have so my scale I went to weigh it like so I get in the boat. Uh, I was like, sweet, got one. All right, this is, I caught one way faster than I thought I was going to. I was going to have to, like, run a gun on these wing dams. And uh, so I went to go weigh it, and my scale, the oh, battery's probably dead or something. But anyways, it wasn't working. So I don't know how big this fish was, but I'm just guesstimating. I'm like, well, it's over three for sure, which is, that's a, I would love to have five of those in my bag. So that goes in the live well. And I keep fishing. I pick up two more. So I had three fish off of that spot. So now I'm I'm really beating it. And I caught two on that swim jig and then one just on a regular, you know, football head jig with a trailer. And I was kind of working that ledge down on that back side of it. And I picked one up that way. Um, and they were decent fish, too. They were two and a half pounds or so, somewhere in that. Again, I didn't have a scale. What I did have, thankfully, is my cull beam. For those that don't know what a cull beam is. It's basically, you know, like the the scales of justice kind of a thing. So there's this handle. It's basically, it's on like a pivot. It's got two clips on either end. So you clip a bass on one end, clip a bass on the other end. You hold it up. Gravity will let you know which one is bigger. Comes in really handy. In fact, even when I have a working scale, I generally use that because that doesn't lie. You know, digital scales sometimes can be off or fish bounces at the wrong time. You lock in the weight. And if weights are really close... It's hard to, a lot of times on a digital scale, like, ooh, which one actually is bigger. Now, that comes into play if you catch enough fish where you're going to start culling. I mean, every ounce counts. Uh, anybody that's tournament fished knows that they've either won or lost by <laughs> tenths of an ounce. You know what I mean? It's like it's it, it can happen, so it, it's really important. And the good thing about the cull beam is that gravity will not lie to you. You hold that thing up, and I usually use, like, a horizon, something that's consistent, and then you can see if if they're really close, which one is a little heavier than the other. So I was using the call beam. Well, it's because I have, so you got call clips. (laughs) Trying to give some basis for people that may not be tournament bass fishing here. Stick with me if you know what I'm talking about. A lot of people don't. Uh so you'll have like um these clips. They used to be like the old stringer clips actually poke through the skin, but now most tournament organizations have banned the use of those, so you just have like pressure clips and they just clamp onto the mouth and they don't cause any harm to the fish. So I made my own. I, I I some bungee cords, some big bobbers, I numbered them one through five. Um I got like some uh those cheap. I should do a how to make these videos because some of these cult clips you buy in the store can be expensive 50, 60 bucks for a pack, and you're like, holy crap! I'm like, I'm not paying that, so I made my own. Like I said, I had bobbers, I had my markers, I had little bits of of uh, small bungee cord, and then on the edge of the bungee cord, I tied on um, like clothes hanger the the ones that have like the little plastic clamps on them. So I just they were super cheap. I just disassembled those and. And it works. Every now and again, one will pop off. I Have a particularly violent fish in the live well, but it's actually worked pretty good. And I think it set me back about six bucks for all the stuff I need. <laughs> so pretty cheap. If you're thinking of getting call beams and you didn't want to drop a bunch of coin, you, you can figure it out. Uh, so anyway, so I use the call beams. So I know which you know one through three, four, five. So I can number them, and that helps when when and if you do catch enough fish to start calling, you can at a glance know which one to grab to call out um, what you want obviously is to start at the top end because <laughs> you want bigger fish um, it's a kind of a pain in the butt but I willingly do it because that's always the best route is that now you have to hop your clips down each fish and so you got to handle each fish again which it's not really that big of a deal you just pull up on the, the line and get your fish but anyways it's just another step so I kept fishing there. Um, I caught three in that spot, and then it kind of dried up. And I fished it for. I fished it for a long time. I probably fished it longer than I should have um, because I needed to check off some more water. So going into this event, I, I didn't really have high hopes. So I was kind of using it as a built-in, and it's the reason that we, our club, structures it this way. We always two of our six events every year are always on the same waters. As the state championship, the tournament of champions, it's like a built-in scouting pre-fishing pre-fishing event, and it's usually the last weekend we can do it before they have the off-limits period. <clears throat> so that was this past weekend, and I, I probably spent way too much time um, fishing that spot, but I was like, "Well, they're here." I hate to leave. I hate leaving fish to find fish. It's like it doesn't – and there's plenty of water here. I knew there was um, more. And there was a few other clubs, quite a few other clubs, fishing the same weekend. And apparently there was a walleye tournament going on. So there was boats everywhere. And so I could see boats around fishing. They weren't necessarily fishing my wing dam, but they're fishing other wing dams. I could see pretty close to mine and kind of wanted to check some of those spots out. But there was always people on it. There was a spot on the opposite side of the river that like always, always, always had a boat on it. So I assume that can be a decent spot, which I did check out on Sunday. It didn't really pan out. But anyways, back to Saturday. So I decided to move on down the line. So I looked at the map, and I could see there's a couple more wing dams just literally just downstream. I mean, like I didn't have to motor anyway. I just kind of worked the shoreline around until um, I got to that next wing dam. Totally separate characteristics of this wing dam. Uh, slightly slower current. Bottom was sandier. Was shallower on either side of the wing dam. There's actually some um, grass growing up around it. And with that came a bunch of northern pike, which... Can be fun to catch, but they're all dinks, and they're really good about cutting your line and losing jigs, which really suck. And every fish you're catching that is not a bass is is wasted time. So that was that was happening. That was fun. Oh, my first spot I caught. So I caught that bass and then caught a walleye like almost immediately after. I was like, what in the heck? Let, let that go for a moment. I was like, should I keep this? I was like, no, I'm not. No, let's go back. Uh, so I went to that next. Um, wing damp down was just getting ready to bail on it and then actually caught another fish uh, and put it in the live well so now I had four and uh kept so kept going so I'm like oh that wasn't a totally different um wing damp structure but worth checking out some more so I could see another one further down the line, so I went to that one. Again, that was like a shallower, sandier one with weeds, found some more pike. Didn't catch any bass on that one, and then decided, all right, well, I'm going to stick to my original plan. I had some other wing dams that I had checked off on my map that I wanted to try. So I picked up and headed down to those, and I was sticking at more – the I th- my I don't know if this is true, but in my mind I was like, I think the rockier ones are going to be better. It's Stereotypically smallmouth-like rocks. So I went and I had a couple small. Um, well, so I tried this other wing dam and I caught another good one. So now I had my five, three of which were decent, two had to go. Legal fish, but t- too small. They had to go. Um, and on the river here uh, in this stretch, not club or tournament rules, but state regulations for this section of river, the minimum length you can keep a bass is 14 inches so that and club rules are, is 12 inches so <clears throat> now just getting a full limit is going to be a little trickier not that you ever want to weigh you know those 12 inches but five fish is five fish i mean you're, you you want a full limit even if it's just barely legal i always even if i think i'm going to call it or hopefully i'll call this fish like the worst thing you do is like underestimate. Like, oh, that's I don't even want to weigh that one. Even though it's legal, I'm gonna let it go. And then at the end of the day, you only have three fish or four fish instead of a limit. I mean, that's still that's still plus weight in your column. So I don't do that. I get my five, and then I work at upgrading the size. So I had those two that I really, really wanted to get rid of, and one of them is actually a green bass, a largemouth bass that I caught in that first spot. I was like, what? What are you doing here? So that was kind of interesting. But he was one of the smaller ones, too. He was, like, right at 14 inches. Like, he's going to have to go back. So I kept fishing. Uh, I just kept running these wing dams and checking spots. And would pick up one here and one there. And I had a pretty good morning up until about, I'd say, about 11 o'clock. And, man, did that bite just die off. Uh, Ran around, checked some spots. So you can find... um, Large-mouth bass on the river too, but they're generally in like weedier areas. People frog like is real shallow and scuzzy, and I tried that Saturday real quick, and I mean real quick. Like I, I don't know. I threw it for five minutes. It's like, ah, screw this. The smallmouth are biting. Let's stick with what's working. So I went back to went back to that running around, and I think I only caught like two or three fish the rest of the day, and none of them were upgrades. So, like, what I had is what I had. And in my typical pessimistic fashion, right away in the morning when I was getting bit, and I was like, all right, these things are snapping without having pre-fished this or scout. Okay, technical difficulties. Uh, I had my board plugged into my laptop, but I did not plug my laptop in, and my my computer decided to go to sleep and therefore killed my audio. So, a little hiccup in this podcast. Sorry about that. So, where was I? Uh, i'd called oh yeah so my pessimist pessimism i just assumed that other people were catching them as well and so I was like I gotta get rid of those two little ones which i did and so everything i had I had a decent average size to it the uh, my smallest ones are probably you know right around two pounds maybe a hair over and then they had that one decent one and then my second biggest wasn't that bad either uh, but at that point they were all small moths so days up, head back to weigh in, and you know, of course, you get there. You start, how'd you guys do? How this and everything? Well, turns out people were struggling, and I was the only one that had a full bag. So right there, I was like, well, that that bodes pretty well, unless they're holding on to three giants, three five pounders. I I think I I think I've got this one, and uh, sure enough, uh, I. Put my fish on the scales. I think I had like 13 and a half pounds, something like that, 13.7. I don't remember what it was. It was over 13 pounds. And uh, so I had big bass for the day. I think that was at 3.7 and change, something like that. So a nice fish. So I took a first-place finish for my first event of the year for the club. But, again, like I said before, I was in a deficit with the zero. So that that's huge. Like take, getting those first-place points, that's going to help. A lot. Now, in talking with, uh, again, talking with the other people, they're like, you know, we always share some information. You know, we don't give away full-on spots in that. Uh, One of the reasons I like my club so much, because obviously we're competitive with each other, but ultimately we want to send people from our club to state tournament to make the state team. So we share information. We want, you know, the high tide rises all ships, right? So we want everybody to do well so we share some information and in talking to you know i told people what i was fishing wing dams and then uh, i was talking to shark and he was like oh man i didn't even think really was going to do wing dams because he was pre-fishing and he had found some stuff out deeper and he was catching three and four pounders you know using a net rig deeper and he said today it was like nothing but little ones and sheephead out there um i did oh that's i did check out a riprap i was like well, i want to check off some riprap shoreline which can be good, and I caught a couple of real small ones. I'm talking like eight inches, And I hooked a sheephead on a crankbait, which is the first time I've ever done that. Like, le- didn't snag it. Like, he legit had the hook in his mouth. It was crazy. So, I mean, he was catching a lot of sheephead on his net rig, which that's not unheard of. But he was getting really frustrated because his, his fish had left. So... I was thinking, well maybe I should try that. I'm like and that's and he was doing that last night. It's like that's how quickly the river can change. So just cuz it what worked for me today might not necessarily work for me tomorrow. And so Sunday we had our our fourth event out there and my game plan was to go ahead and try that same spot, same philosophy, see if it holds up in a perfect world to get my five really quick and then I was like okay five should be no matter what size five should be good enough to if not win it at least be competitive get good points I'm gonna use the rest of the day to kind of explore the river and learn more and get some backup spots for the TOC so I pull up to the spot uh, cast out there and within 10 minutes I hook up to a decent one And I get it in the boat, and I was like, all right, here we go. We're off to the races. This is is going to be a good spot, and this is going to work well. Well, that was it. That's like the last fish I caught in that spot. I didn't stay there too long. I didn't try to milk it out. There wasn't as much traffic around that day. So I was able to go explore the other wing dams in the area that I wanted to the day before and check them out. Didn't catch anything on those, but at least I know it's not that, There won't ever be fish on those. They looked actually pretty fishy, but I didn't catch anything there that day. But it was good just to kind of learn, the lay of the land, if you will. Then I went over across the river and I checked those spots that had been really busy the day before. Nobody was over there. Didn't catch anything over there. Like my morning was slow. I had one fish in the boat. And so I happened to pass um, the other dale in the club. And so we stopped and I was like how are you doing he's like he yeah, had three and I was like oh I only got one I was like oh crap alright well it's not good but we got a lot of daytime left like I was like I think it was 9 o'clock at, at this point so I went to another spot that the day before I it was a real shallow spot uh, rocky and I had seen some bass up there real shallow well, I saw them when I went to go uh, retrieve a my bait that got stuck in the rocks. I was like, what? A, what are you doing so shallow? B, why didn't you bite my lure, you jerk? (laughs) Because it's one I would have loved to have in my bag. It was definitely a keeper. And so I went and hit that spot and there was a bunch of little ones breaking, but I couldn't catch anything decent with what I had been using. So I was like, well, going off of what Shark said, maybe, maybe they slid back deep again. So I tied on a Nedrig, backed off a little bit, started working that drop, and then set the hook. I was like, oh, I hope this is a bass and not, this is a good one, and not um, a sheephead, you know, which I was like, probably is a sheephead. It was fighting a little bit different. I bring it up, it's a freaking northern, and it was decent-sized northern, too. Oh, that was the second big one I had hooked on. I hooked on another one at a different wing dam earlier. I was like, oh, my God, you're killing me. I wasn't expecting to pick up northerns on these wing dams. You know, you see some weeds, yeah, sure, but these were out, like, just in the, the rock, but I guess there's bait out there, so it makes sense that they would be there. So I caught that, somehow didn't get bit off, which is crazy because he had that bait choked. It was way down in their line running over all his sharp, nasty teeth. It was crazy. So it was not the big, small one that I was hoping for. I think I actually caught two northerns in that spot. And then finally set the hook on one, and it was a keeper smallmouth. So, all right, I got two. I got a long ways to go. we out of time here. So, it got to a certain point. I was like, all right, I need to either. At this point, I already talked to Dale. He had three. He's probably got his five by now. <sighs> the bite has changed. So, what was working for me is not working today, which could equate to what wasn't working for other people yesterday is working today. So, again, I'm assuming other people are catching fish. And I'm like, you know what? I think it's time to explore. I got my first place yesterday. <sighs> got to look big picture. Let's thank TOC. Uh, so I decided to to go explore. And so I just took off running down and looking at the map and checked some, you know, visually just kind of scanning some wing dams at the way that they looked. And as I went downstream, all of a sudden I look over and see this big, big, Massive, just bright green area that just like screams largemouth bass. I'm like, mm, all right, I'm gonna go in there and try that. So I pull in there and grab the frog rod right out and start. and I worked along this one edge and went over some really good looking water. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I was like, oh, man, where are these? Because some people were getting them on frogs yesterday. I was like, where are they getting these bass at? I get kind of the end of this and also I have a blow up, set the hook. Bring him in, legal fish, sweet. I got three. That's we're getting dangerously close, and it's like I was just about ready to write this entire giant swath area off as like oh, they're just not in this. Because I, I mean I threw that frog into some really good looking water, and just nothing. So I decided to keep fishing. Obviously, after I catch caught that fish, I went around and was fishing like the inside of it. And then I swear, some of the same water that my frog had been in, suddenly now I'm getting blow-ups. And I'm seeing activity in there. And it didn't take long. So I caught that one, caught another one, and another one. Boom. Just like that, I had my three fish. I had five. I was like, nice, got my limit. I'm like, now now the pressure's really off. Like, I don't know if it's, they're not really big, so it's probably not good enough to win. But if anybody else is struggling like they struggled the day before, it's like five should carry me. Uh, at least get me decent points, you know, maybe top three or something like that. And so I kept going. I had a few more blow-ups and set, and didn't get the hook set on them. Set the hook on this one. It felt like a really good fish. I had it on. I'm, like, trying to pull them through the big weeds. And then I think it just got caught up in too many weeds. And the hook just popped out. And that was a bummer because that would have been a, a nice upgrade because one of my fish was, like, 14 and a quarter. So I really wanted to call that one out but didn't happen and then this, this bay went way back and I could see like a beaver house back there and sometimes those beaver houses can be money for big bass because with all the wood and the sticks and the beavers usually have it dredged out a little bit deeper um, panfish like to hang around that and so therefore the blue or the bass like to hang around eating the bluegills so I kind of fight my way because it was kind of scuzzy to get back there but then opened up and it was clean I fought my way back in there and uh yeah, I didn't catch a, a damn thing. Didn't even get a blow up, so I was like, Oh, I'm gonna fish this water that I had those blow ups on my way back out, hopefully I can find another one of those big ones. Well that then happened, I didn't get it I didn't get a single I think I had like one one or two boils, you know, that kinda swing and they didn't really commit to it. Um but yeah, I didn't catch any more fish and then, then I got finally got out of there and I had about an hour left. I was like, oh, what should I do? Should I run all the way back up to my first spot? keep plugging away there, see if I can't just try some different things, see if I can't elicit another bigger smallmouth out of there, or should I keep looking? I was like, wow, with only an hour left, let's just do that. So that's what I did. Ran up there, didn't catch anything. In hindsight, kind of wish I would have kept exploring the uh, weedy frog bite for largemouth. So as we got back to the landing again, you start talking. So I run into Dale. And I go, well, did you get your five? He's like, just those three. Or I think he had four. He had three or four. I was like, oh, man, I thought you had those three so fast. I thought for sure you're going to have five. And then other people didn't have their limit. And I was like, well, might might have a chance again. So I talked to Noah, and he had his five. And he sounded pretty confident on it. And I was like, well, if you have five decent ones, then you're going to have beat me for sure. He's like, yeah, I got one really good one. I was like, "Ah, yeah, he beat me. So we go to the scales and weigh them in. And Noah and I were the only ones that had five. So going back to that, getting five is is just super important. It's extra weight. So my fish weren't big. I was like, I think I have 10 pounds. Not quite sure. And I had like 10 and a half pounds. And then he had 13.4 pounds, I think. And uh, I think his big bass was three. I don't remember something like that. Anyways, uh, nice fish, and so he took the first place on Saturday. So congrats to Noah. That was he did a good job. He just stuck with his frog. He, he he kind of did the opposite I did the first day where he was frogging, and then he tried the wing dam on Sunday a little bit, and he just had no confidence. and He's like, ah, oh, screw this, and then he went back to frogging, which was in hindsight the the best play because the wing dams were just not at least for me they weren't they weren't producing so. Uh, really kind of wish I would have gone to the green earlier. But that's all hindsight, right? But it's good knowledge to have. And I'm glad that I, I fished it as much as I did. So now going into TOC, I kind of have a good understanding, you know, A and B plans, you know, kind of a thing. But really for TOC, you need A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I. Cause... So the first day was somewhat similar to uh, TOC. Not really, because there was multiple clubs out there. I'd say there was probably 50 boats plus, and the TOC is 100 boats of the top anglers, so it's it's a totally different animal as far as I can do well on this club events, but that doesn't necessarily um, carry over to the TOC, because you're just you're dealing with 100 hammers out there, so fish are more pressured, and spots are going to be taken, and yeah. So, anyways, pretty overall, pretty happy with the way the weekend shook out. Uh, for never have fishing those waters or even being on them to take a first and then a second place, uh, respectively, is um, that's huge. And that great for my overall point standings. I'm sure I'm still either down towards the bottom half or middle of the pack because I got that zero lumen over my head. Uh, So the next two club events are going to be in September. So got a ways for that. And I'm gonna to have to have a strong showing on those. I'm I'm pretty excited about those though, just because I think they're gonna be fun. We're kind of we're not doing it uh, MLF or Major League Fishing style as far as we're wearing every bass, but what we do are what we are doing is they're gonna be surprise lakes. So we had already voted put areas of the state in a hat and drew out, and like the um, Grand Rapids area, Deer River got got picked. So that's where it's going to be there's a shit ton of lakes up in that area so i don't know how we're doing it the morning of or the uh, night before but we're gonna throw lake names in the area into a hat randomly pull one out and that's where we're gonna go fishing so no real pre-fishing for that either so that'll be fun and uh, there's some really really good lakes up in that area so that's that's gonna be a lot of fun and that's in september So coming up and be like, in two weeks is the TOC, so we back down to Wabasha. Hopefully patterns don't change too much, but, man, a lot can change in that river. If suddenly we get a shit ton of rain, the water level comes up, that's going to change everything. But even as the day goes on, like, you'll notice the current um, ebb and flow because, like, upstream, if they open up a dam or downstream even open up a, a dam or a lock to let barges through, well, obviously that's going to, you're going to get an influx of of water in and out. So it's like, it's kind of interesting when you're on it. Like you'll notice, you know, because you're running into the, if you're running into the current with your trilling motor, suddenly you got to use more oomph to go as that current just all of a sudden starts uh, flowing faster. And I would think that would play a role in it, just almost like tides on the coast. Um, fish like current. So they they take, they use that to their advantage for sure. It's it's another Another something to uh, tip or trick to kind of keep in the back of your mind when you're out there, if you er, anybody ever goes down there to fish. So something I'm gonna try to be aware of for uh, for sure. So that was a good weekend. Uh, congratulations, Noah, first place on Sunday. That was you did a good job. Uh, what else is that? That's pretty much what I did. That was my weekend. So and it was uh, it was a good weekend. It was. Pretty happy about that. So there's your weekend recap uh, for your rant. It's not really so much a rant. Um, so I read a, an article apparently in northeastern Minnesota. The Fond du Lac tribe is looking at reintroducing elk, which is kind of cool. So Minnesota has an elk population in the northwest part of the state. It's pretty small. It's only like, I think, 200 animals or less. Or I think that's what they like to keep it at when it gets above that. They generally have a um, a pretty regulated hunt for it um, it's a pretty high percentage hunt if you can get drawn it's like a lifetime thing if you get drawn as a resident only residents can apply um, so that's kind of cool I haven't haven't tried to get it but would be pretty sweet so now they're thinking about getting another population started in the northeast part of the state not all the way in the arrowhead it's um, northern Carlton County and southern St. Louis County so basically straight east of Duluth a little bit for anybody familiar with uh, the state of Minnesota or you can do a quick uh, Google map search and you'll see what area that we're talking about. So they, and and I did a little research on it and the U of M has been doing some studies too to see if, you know, environmental impact, uh, public input and all that kind of stuff to see if they can do it. So what, what they're going to do, and because CWD is a thing, they're not going to release like any captive elk or anything like that. They're going to take some from that northwestern Minnesota herd and transplant them over that way, which probably is a really good way to do it. Those ones are going to be acclimated to our climate. Um, they're CWD-free as far as we know, and it's from a CWD-free area. Like there haven't been any cases in deer in that area to put over there. One of the things, like, I'm all for it. I think it's, I think it's cool. I, I think the more biodiverse we have of of large mammals is, is a good thing. So that's going to be pretty cool. So the one thing I was like, well, okay, it's far enough south. I don't think they're really going to compete with moose. Not that they really live in the same habitat anyways. But I was curious to see if, because one of our problems we're having with moose in this state, our numbers are declining, and... While some might want to blame wolves I don't I don't think wolves are the problem obviously they do eat some moose it's pretty natural um, but moose and wolves have been living together for hundreds of thousands of years so I, I don't really think that's the issue uh, in fact I pretty much know it's not the issue if you start looking at some of these studies that they've done what they're finding out is actually brainworm that is killing these moose and they're getting that brainworm from white-tailed deer so whitetail deer have it. it's just something they live with. Uh, their their immune system is built to handle it. It doesn't really affect them unless they're weakened by some other reason then then that can take them down. But for the most part, brainworm doesn't kill whitetail deer. However, it does kill moose. They don't the moose do not have the natural defense system in their bodies to take on that brainworm. So where a whitetail, and moose collide, that is a problem. And so kind of the way it works is this parasite hosts in, I think, the larval stage is, I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's deer get it. They eat, like, uh, slugs, inadvertently eat slugs that are on, like, the vegetation that they're eating. That gets in their digestive track. From there, it spreads out, attaches to the brain, and then they poop out the eggs, I believe. The slugs come by, eat the poop, turns into larval stage. I think that's what it is. And then the the cycle repeats. So that's, that's kind of the life cycle of these brain worms. Well, where deer and moose collide, their deer and the moose are eating kind of the same thing. So the same, a, a moose will incidentally ingest one of these slugs that is infected with this brain worm, and then that life cycle continues. But like I said, they don't have the, national, the natural defense to to fight it, so a lot of times they succumb to it and it kills them. And that's what we're finding out is kind of hindering our moose population. So I was curious if elk would be susceptible to brainworm or if they're one of the species like white-tailed deer that could just handle it and what I found is yeah no they can't handle it um so it's definitely gonna I, I'm I haven't read anything about it in the articles about the uh, introduction of it so I kind of feel like if there's any truth to the brainworm thing with moose which I believe it it is will that and what will there be an impact, and what impact will there be in the efficacy of reintroducing that herd of elk? So I, I guess I wonder if there's much brainworm in that northwestern, around that northwestern herd. That would be something. I went online; I just couldn't find much about it, other than uh, learned more than I ever thought I needed to about this brainworm. Um, other names: meningeal. The meningeal worm, or pff, I'm going to butcher the shit out of this one. Paralophos Wait, nope. Already screwed it up. Paralophos tenuous. She squeezed. as a mouthful, but that is the brain worm. So, yeah, it's. Yeah, white-tailed deer are the normal definitive host for the brain worm, uh, but it can also affect moose, elk, caribou, mule deer, fowl deer, bighorn sheep, pronghorns, domestic sheep, goats, llamas, camels, guinea guinea pigs. All right, so be care- if you guys got pet guinea pigs, don't just let them frolic out in your yard if you got white-tailed deer around or they might die of brain worm. Just, I mean, kidding, not, not kidding. So um, kind of weird. So, anyways, I'm just wondering if that's going to have uh, uh, an impact. And I'm like here, management prevention of brainworm uh, disease can be controlled by reducing white-tailed deer populations in regions where they share habitat with susceptible species. So that's kind of something that I've mentioned on this podcast before. This would be a, file this under unpopular opinions, but if we really want to see the wolf numbers recover, or wolf numbers, moose numbers recover and we're going to try to reintroduce elk to the northeast part of the state. In my opinion, if brainworm is indeed what is killing these moose and will likely then impact these elk, I think they need to make like they need to zone as far as how they manage the northeastern part of the state as, like, not whitetail zone. So it's managed for moose, managed for elk, which means they should probably have a really aggressive management plan for deer. Give a shit ton of tags away. You want people to kill as many deer as possible because you're going to want to reduce that population. You want hardly any whitetail deer up there so that the moose and the elk can fill that void. (sighs) The deer hunters are not going to like that because they're already, they already bitch about the wolves up there. And they think the wolves are killing all their deer, uh, but there's still plenty of deer. And there's more deer up there than there ever have been because the more land you clear for ag and forestry, like that kind of new growth is like perfect habitat for deer. They just explode in that. And that's also why the moose are running into the deer because as deer populations encroach, because we're making better deer habitat than moose habitat, um, they're coming into contact with these deer, and that's how that brainworm is getting passed on. You see a lot of climate change stuff, like, oh, it's because of global warming. I don't necessarily think that's the case. Moose numbers in Maine are doing fine, and we're on the same latitude as they are. In fact, their winters aren't nearly as severe as our winters, so I don't really think that holds up the the weird thing is that, like, the moose population in North Dakota seems to be doing okay, and they got tons of deer out there, too. So, I don't know if it's just more prairie-like, if they have less, they don't run into each other as often, or maybe the population of white-tailed deer in the Dakotas don't have as much brain worm. I'm not sure. So, there's there's a lot of information out there that we don't have. I'm always somewhat disappointed when I do a deep dive on some of these subjects, the, uh, the lack of stuff that I find, but Anyways, that's uh that's all I got to really say about that. That's my opinion. Reduce whitetail numbers in the northeastern part of the state. I'm definitely for reintroduction of elk. I'm definitely for getting moose numbers back to a healthy enough population where we could pursue them. That would be preferred. Um, and right now the population just it's not there. Can't can't support a hunt. So something should and needs to be done with that and in my opinion sounds like let's go get those deer so all right that's what i got for you guys this week thank you very much uh for listening don't forget to share where possible i've been getting some messages lately i love that i uh i will respond to any and all messages whether you you slide in the dms on on instagram fullscale__outdoors, underscore outdoors or fullscale outdoors on uh, Facebook, you can just shoot me a message, send me, I've been talking to a few people on Snapchat, I'm just Dale Luganville on Snapchat, so anyway, you can get a hold of me, get a hold of me, ask questions, I will gladly answer, if you just want to shoot the shit, that's a cool tool, To share some uh, pictures of what you've been doing in the outdoors, hunting, fishing, and all that, we're getting dangerously close, like, dangerously close, it's July, August, boom, September, middle of September, the archery season in Minnesota opens, so, I'm starting to feel guilt about not shooting my bow, so it's gonna be time to start brushing up on that, and uh, it seems weird to think about, but it'll be here before you know it. Goose season will be here, so it's just gonna get busier and busier and busier. Keep that in mind, start dusting off those decoys, start practicing that bow, get that. (laughs) Gotta stay brushed up on all that stuff, so uh, in the meantime, I still got a shit ton of fishing to do, so. I hope you're all as busy as I am having a great time out in the outdoors. Be safe, everybody. And whatever your passion, pursue it full scale. Don't
0: miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.